Hello, my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you once again. This week we're discussing creation, evolution in a post-biblical world. And today we're simply asking, what does the Bible actually say about the origin of our world? Today our co-host is Eric Hoare and Eric ministers to the Adelaide Aboriginal Seventh-day Adventist Church. Welcome to you, Eric. Thanks, Gary. It's good to see you're still here. Oh, yes. Now, you've had two <laughs> weeks off, actually. Tell us what you've been doing in, in your couple of weeks off. Well, you know, we're going to, uh, we're planning a trip to Cairns in July. So I've been, uh, got all that sorted out, got a motorhome. We're going to fly uh, to Cairns and uh, we're going to pick up a motorhome and we're going to travel down to Townsville. And then back again, about a two weeks, we're going to be, you know, just stopping at various places and, yeah. and just using that and, and enjoying the weather. That there. is a really beautiful part of the world. You know, I, mm. I had the privilege of living up in Townsville for four years. Mm. And uh, uh, that is just such, I love going up to Cairns and the Atherton Tablelands up to mm. Molanda. Uh, and of course, you've got Coranda. And we want to say a really big hello to all our good mates up, up that part of the world. It's a fantastic part of the world and particularly mm. midwinter. You're going yeah. in a wonderful time of the year. <laughs> yeah, well, July's July's the day, and we're going to do that. And then uh, we did a Mother's Day lunch for the Aboriginal uh, people. Well, some of them don't have much of a, a Mother's Day, so yeah. we thought we'd take them. And we went and had a lovely meal all together. And uh, one of the things we're starting to do in our family, which is so good, for, for I recommend this to anyone, is that I've got three boys, and they've got their own property. So yeah. once a month, we've decided to have a working bee at each other's place just for two hours on a Sunday morning. And hey, I like that. <laughs> they were rounded our place this last Sunday, and I got a, a, a bin put in, you know, two cubic meter one, uh, empty one there, and uh, we trimmed all the bushes and all that round, just filled it up with green waste, filled it to the top, and what we did in two hours, four of us, would have taken me a long time. So we're planning to do that, go to each other. I think it's a good thing to do. Uh, I tell you, if you really need somewhere to go to as a as a goodwill gesture after <laughs> after you've done your place, please, you know, I can give you another place that actually we'll could do that. <laughs> That's a, that would be fantastic. Now, look, this week we're chatting about creation. You know, here in Oz, we've just got we're blessed with just so much of God's creation and now Eric just tell us aspect you know what aspect of God's creation down here in you know Adelaide South Australia what part of, of nature God's nature do you most enjoy in this part of the world well I like going to the bush um, and humbug scrub if anybody doesn't know it actually owned by a church member yeah and uh, that's a beautiful place to go to and uh, that's uh, he's got some uh, animals there as well uh, different ones there and and to walk in the bush through there I love that I love going also to up to one tree hill which isn't far away yeah a little cafe up there and having a look around there semaphore beach is one of the our favorite places yeah uh, the water's not too deep you know and the, when you go out there and it's nice and warm there during the summer and uh, there's a beautiful fish and chip shop there that we normally yeah, call on. Yeah. Uh, also, you like your cafes and fish and chip <laughs> shops, do, don't you, Eric? We, do. <laughs> we like going to Handorf. 
uh, yeah. and up into some of those little towns up in the hills, up and through the Barossa we yeah. like to go as well. And they're great just to go up there for an afternoon and, and just have a quiet time together. I, I, those are the sort of things that Erin and I love doing. Adelaide Hills is so beautiful, particularly mm. autumn, that oh. time of the year when you've got the colour coming through. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it gets a little bit chilly up there in winter, but goodness yeah. me, you don't get much nicer place than the Adelaide Hills and particularly go to the Mount Lofty Botanic Gardens, oh. which, of course, is in the lower hills as well. And uh, that I, I tried to get in there, in fact, uh, a week or so ago. I thought and my, my wife said to me, hey, it's Sunday. It'd be a fantastic time to go up there. Seems everybody else. So we couldn't get parking uh, for love nor money. Mm. And uh, in the end, we actually turned around and came home because uh, we uh, we just simply could not get, get parking Well, some anywhere. of the pictures, you know, photos you see of them, it, they really they look beautiful, but they don't do it justice. You've got yeah, to see it for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. The thing I appreciated down about this part of the world, actually, mm. Eric, are the night skies. Mm. Uh, you know, going outside, particularly, I love going out camping. Mm. Uh, and when you go uh, go out and uh, into the into the outback areas, you know, you think of people, you know, places like Cooper Pedy. Go to some of these places, and on a really dark night, the sky is just so absolutely amazing. And you sort of look at it and you say, "Hey, you know, isn't our God? Isn't He good to us uh, for all that He's actually created?" It, it actually blows my mind. My, uh, uh, one of my grandchildren has a telescope and we get that out and look at the stars and the moon yeah and and the moon i don't know that's um just a few weeks ago it sort of like was a um it was like a golden color if you yeah, saw it remember yeah, that day yeah, yeah. and that was absolutely beautiful but you're right uh, to look up at the night sky i think the thing that is because we live in the a lot of us live in the city to get out into the country into the bush where you can actually see those stars not the light reflecting from the city that's the best part of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's so true, Eric. Uh, look, let's come to our World Watch segment. Now, this week I just uh, uh, picked up an article in, in this week's Australian. It was talking about smartphones, and I'd just love to get your feedback on this one, Eric. Uh, it was entitled Smartphones. Leave us sharing the same sofa, but worlds apart. Here's the scenario, said the article, uh, that you'll probably recognise. You meet a friend and after a few minutes together, they glance at their phone. They start reading the Twitter thread that they've spotted and become absorbed. Here's another one. You're watching television with a loved one. At some point, uh, realise that even though they're sitting beside you on the sofa, they're not watching the television at all. A screen has replaced screen. Uh, Instead, they're staring at the small screen in their hand. They have gone. They're checked out. They've abandoned a shared experience for a private one offered by their phone. These scenarios are now so common that a team of anthropologists at University College London has come up with a new phrase to describe them. The creation of the smartphone, they argue in a new book, has resulted in the death of proximity. Someone who appears to be sitting next to us has, for all intents and purposes, abruptly retreated to some other place from which we are excluded and they haven't even said goodbye, the authors write. They may remain in our physical company, but they have disengaged. This flagrant rupture of conventional etiquette, they, they say, has altered the very divide between public and private. The new book... The Global Smartphone Beyond Use Technology is the work of 11 anthropologists who spent 16 months working in nine countries across Europe, Africa, Asia and South America to create the most in-depth study yet of adult smartphone use. 
since the internet was created 30 years ago, the researchers argue, it has bridged divides, bringing people together virtually in a way that uh, they have described as the death of distance. Over the past year, with almost the world locked down and relying on digital communication, this has become particularly apparent. Yet while the smartphone has destroyed division and separation in the virtual world, it restored distance in the actual physical world. I found that to be an intriguing comment. And that's not all it has done, the anthropologists argue. Our devices have become an extension of ourselves. Smartphones, they say, coining another phrase, are now a transportal home. We use them to organise our schedules, find entertainment, communicate with family and friends, and and are where we anchor our sense of identity and self. The project's leader, Professor Daniel Miller, says at any point, whether over a meal, a meeting or a shared activity, a person there can just disappear, having gone home to their smartphone. He sees, says we need to come up with new etiquette to manage the digital age because balancing a physical reality with digital life causes frustration, disappointment and even offence for others, for those left staring at someone hunched over their device. Now, Eric, tell us, how do you, how do you view this? I mean, how do you view these types of intrusions? Well, unfortunately, it's coming to private and to the personal life. That's what I see the danger of a lot of the stuff where, you know, as a family years ago, you'd sit together and have uh, have a f- meal at the table without interruption and you'd talk and talk about the events of the day. Uh, these days, you know, you, you have people have their phones or they'll be in a text or message and they'll immediately pick it up. You can sit in restaurants or a bus or whatever and see that. The good point, I think, here in the actual world when it's talking about is you can connect with people that are a long way away and, yeah. and uh, you know, you can see them on video and everything else, which is really great. But it, I think it does interfere with relationships. The closeness that we feel together as families and friends can be lost because it's that uh, interaction that we have with each other when you're sitting and chatting and uh, you don't get that I don't think with a, with a phone or a smartphone and it, it affects our personal life and and I, I really believe that uh, we've lost we've lost a lot of stuff a lot of personal stuff uh, I wish we could go back I mean even in even in Japan they run these um, these uh, projects where they'll have a seminar on people and they're trying to declutter their lives and, and take them away, leave their devices at home for a couple of weeks and these people have withdrawal symptoms. That's right, and, and, and actually detox people, in mm. other words, in those yeah. types of... And, and I think you're correct there too. You get this um, withdrawal symptoms when people are devoid of their uh, particular device. And look, I must admit, I... I <laughs> I found myself trapped a little bit, and you know, I would go out and do the garden. Where's my phone? Yeah. I've got to have it beside me. Yeah. You know, I don't want to yeah. miss that call yeah. or whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And it can become part of your lifestyle. Um, so, you know, and I think the family is under enough attack from all different sides where we need to have that rapport and that, that time where you're not interrupted. My, my, what I do now when I go out for tea with my wife is I just I put, leave my phone in the car. Hey, now that's, and that's very good. I, I really appreciate that actually because I, and that's the next question I wanted to ask is how do we actually deal with this? Now, you're saying when you go out for a meal with your wife, you actually leave your phone 
in the car. Yeah, and I found that, you know, because before I'd be sitting having a meal and, and you know, the thing would go and your mind's always thinking, well, I wonder, you know, and it's buzzing away. It is quite discre- dis- dis- uh, disrespectful to my wife yeah. to actually be sitting there and, and, and looking at my phone and reading that while she's trying to talk to me or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, that's a big help is to try and um, just, just have moments there, parts of your life where you're you stay away from the technology. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really important. Um, and, I, you know, I know people too that um, have been on Facebook and who, who don't want to go on Facebook anymore because people have attacked them on it or they've had a disagreement with the family on Facebook. Mm. Not mm. this Facebook. And that's Facebook. increasingly becoming a huge issue, actually. Mm. Um, I, I know that one thing that uh, we uh, we actually did as a church on one particular occasion was uh, uh, everyone's heard of fasting where you abstain from food for a short period of time. We actually came to a week of prayer and uh, during the week of prayer we said, uh, okay, what we want to encourage you to do is actually to have an e-fast. Now, by an e-fast, what we meant is uh, no non-work um, uh, texting and uh, you know, leave your screens at home mm. and just see how, how you can go. Most people actually found that a lot more difficult than physical fasting. Is that right? Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. I, it, it, it really, it really blew my mind actually because mm. uh, most people actually uh, struggled to actually be able to do that, to actually be able to lay their phone uh, aside. I, I know myself. One of the uh, one of the things that I I appreciate doing is I actually also, and when I go to visit someone, I'll leave my phone in the car, mm. and uh, it it means that I can actually give my whole attention um, because. I certainly know in the old days, uh, yes, we had a message bank and, you know, when you came home, you could answer your, your messages if you, if you so chose. Mm. But, uh, uh, the expectation of, uh, instantaneous communication, uh, is really starting to impact on, uh, uh, on us. And I'm certainly encouraging parents particularly because yeah. I know that the age at which young people are actually picking up their, their mobile yeah. phones, and we're not trying to be down on the media here no. in every possible way, uh, but yeah. to actually have some, some limits actually put in place where we can say, hey, look, you know, this is a internet free zone. This is a, a well, text free zone. I know that when, you know, when you used to go on cruises and things, when you and I would go on a cruise, you know, and no reception out in the middle of the sea and you're just sitting there relaxing, that was the most relaxing holiday I think I've ever had is to be away from communication yeah. where people can't reach you and you can't reach people you're just with the one that you love you yeah know? yeah, and, that's, yeah. That's and, and, and that is actually so true that is mm. so true i mean I, I i've actually run some uh uh some uh some conventions and where i've actually found locations and it's getting more and more difficult to find the locations to find locations where there is actually very limited uh reception and to me, I find that actually is beneficial to, to everyone. Um, so, yeah, obviously everyone's got to put their own boundaries there. But, mm. you know, I just and in reading this article, it sort of brought to my mind. It said, hey, look, you know, this is really something that uh, I think uh, is a real challenge for most of us today. Mm. Yeah. Look, let's come to some uh, some music. This is uh, Shane and Shane. Oh, worship the king. What a beautiful song. Oh, worship the king.
That was Shine and Shine. Oh, worship the King. Uh, what beautiful uh, words we have in that uh, that song. We've got a free gift for you today. Now, our free gift is uh, a book. It's entitled uh, Creation and Evolution. Now, this is written by Dwight Nelson. Now, this is a thoughtful look at evidence uh, for the master designer creating our planet. Now, this is a real little beauty. Uh, this uh, The debate is really uh, heating up. Uh, some thought it would actually go away, but it's actually getting uh, warmer by the day. Did a loving God create this earth, uh, or are we the random product of millions of years of natural selection? Is the Bible teaching of a literal six-day creation viable, given the scientific evidence pointing towards evolution or even as some think can both theories be successfully blended into one now uh, this really deals uh, with some of the big questions uh, about creation and evolution if you'd like this book creation and evolution by dwight nelson then please just write creation and evolution and your name your address and your telephone number and text that uh, to our drive time requests number and that number is 0488 880 811 that number again is 0488 880 811 and just put there creation and evolution so we know the offer that you are actually responding to. I believe you'll love this book that's by Pastor uh, Dwight Dwight Nelson. He's a fantastic author, a wonderful speaker, and uh, really presents uh, some uh, some marvellous uh, material. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary. Today our co-host is Eric Hoare, and Eric ministers to the Adelaide Aboriginal Seventh-day Adventist Church. This week... We're discussing creation and evolution in a post-biblical world. And today we're simply asking, what does the Bible actually say about the origin of our world? I'm amazed with a number of uh, books that have come out in recent times, uh, not written by uh, religious uh, people, but rather uh, uh, written by former secular scientists who are casting doubt on the theory of evolution. Now, these aren't widely advertised, but I am amazed with the number that are certainly coming across my desk. One of them was uh, entitled uh, Giving Up Darwin. Now, this isn't written by anyone who's trying to push the uh, uh, a religious perspective, but his conclusion was that he had to give up Darwin. Now, this is uh, an article concerning that particular decision that he took. This is uh, uh, this is what uh, what he said. Darwinian evolution is a brilliant and beautiful scientific theory. Once it was a daring guess. Today, it's basic to the credo that defines the modern worldview. Accepting the theory as settled truth, no more subject to debate than the earth being round or the sky blue or forced being mass times acceleration, it certifies you that you are devoutly orthodox in your scientific views, which in turn is an essential first step towards being taken seriously in any part of modern intellectual life. Then he asked this, but what if Darwin was wrong? Like so many others, I grew up, uh, he uh, uh, he says, um, with Darwin's theory. I'd always believed it was true. I'd heard doubts over the years from well-informed, sometimes brilliant people 
but I had my hands full cultivating my garden and it was easier to let biology take care of itself. But in recent years, reading and discussion have shut that road down for good. This is so sad. It's no victory for any sort of religion. I mean, that's his, his conclusion. He's trying to find a solution, but looking elsewhere than religion. It means one less beautiful idea in our world and one more hugely difficult and important problem back on mankind's to-do list. But we each need to make our peace with the facts and not try to make, make life on earth simpler than it really is. Charles Darwin explained monumental change by making one basic assumption. All life forms descended from a common ancestor and adding two simple processes anyone can understand. Random, heritable, variation and natural selection. Out of these simple agreements, uh, ingredients conceived to be operating blindly over hundreds of millions of years, he conjured up change that seems like the deliberate unfolding of a grand plan designed and carried out with superhuman genius. Could nature really have pulled out of its hat the invention of life, of increasingly sophisticated life forms, and ultimately the unique in the cosmos, as far as we know, a human mind, given no strategy but trial and error? the mindless accumulation of small changes. It's an astounding idea, yet Darwin's brilliant and lovely theory explains only how it could have happened. There's no reason to doubt that Darwin successfully explained the small adjustments by which an organism adapts to local circumstances, changes to fur density, density or wing style or beak shape yet there are many reasons to doubt whether he can answer the hard questions that explain the big picture not the fine-tuning of existing species but the emergence of new ones the origin of species is exactly what darwin cannot explain do you know as i read this particular article it really actually blew me away because there were so many things in it that he had to say where he was a, he is not a religious person. Mm. He was a, a believer in Darwinian evolution and yet he is forced to actually give it up, um, and search for another solution. To this point though, he hasn't found another solution. The book's actually called uh, Darwin's Doubt, and it's by uh, Stephen uh, Stephen Meyer. And look, you know, I'm amazed at the amount of material that is out there today that that involves people who were formerly believers in evolution saying no. This doesn't explain those big questions that we are called on to actually. Explain. I'll uh, I'll share with you another book uh, tomorrow uh, in our uh, in our discussion uh, in our discussion time. But look, Eric, the Bible is probably the only other theory that people have have considered in recent times. And I just wonder: is it all that unreasonable? Is it unreasonable to say 
a master designer is involved in all that we see. Eric, today we're just going to, I'd just love you to have a, a, a review for us. You know, what does the Bible actually say? Because I'm conscious that there are, uh, there is a significant discussion even bullet, uh, around uh, religious people as to exactly what the Bible does teach in this whole area of creation. Help us out. Well, let's go straight into our Bible study and, and we need to go to the source where the creation, either you believe in creation or evolution. You either believed and that there was suddenly a big bang and there was life and everything was in its place or you believe that there was a creator, something that created all this. And we have to go straight away to Genesis 1-1, of course, the beginning of the Bible, where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the second verse is, The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So right in the beginning it says that God existed. Somebody said to me one day, he said, well, if you believe in God, where did God come from? Who Mm, created mm, God? mm. And I said to them, well, if you have somebody that created God, where did that creator come from? You know, it would be a never-ending question. I believe that God existed and then he brought us into his world, the world that he made Mm, for mm. a reason, you know. And I think that... That, to me, gives me a purpose and hope because I know a lot of Christians who question the creation story in, in various churches today. Yeah. And if you lose that as the foundation of being created by God, that he has the power to recreate, well, how can we believe in, in him coming back to life yeah. after death? Yeah. You know? I, I, I love, Erica, that, that particular verse that you've said because, mm. to me, what's actually happening here at the beginning of this uh, book of Genesis is it's laying out its presuppositions fairly. Mm. You know, there are so many um, uh, people who uh, make, make pronouncements who mm. don't lay out their presuppositions Presuppositions fairly. You know, right here, in the beginning, God. What's the presupposition? The presupposition, according to the scriptures, is that there is an almighty God that does actually exist. Now, you know, uh, to me, I I understand that people will actually uh, debate uh, that particular point. But, you know, uh, to me, as I look at the evidence... For a supernatural being within the scriptures themselves, I just have to have to say, hey, this is something I believe we have to take notice of. And the other thing here too, Gary, within these two verses here, it talks about that he had nothing there to play with. Yeah, you know, like he had to form it out of basically nothing. I mean, he could have. I mean, uh, for people reading this for the first time, it takes a lot of faith to believe that, you know, that he could create something out of nothing. Because when we see a table, we see it's created out of, you know, somebody's made it out of wood. But here, he he goes straight to the point. And here it says here that the Holy Spirit was there. In fact, the three of the Trinity was there. Because over in John uh, John chapter 1, talking here about... uh, uh, John 1 verse uh, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. In him was life. So he gives life. He brings things to be. The life was the light of men, and the light in the shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So who is the Word? In verse 14 it tells us, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, talking about Jesus. So here we see that Jesus created the world through his Father, and the Holy Spirit was there hovering above the world. Here we've got the three, the God head we talk about. 
Yeah, that's yeah. the beginning. Yeah. Now, I, I like what you're actually saying there, and I, I know some people actually say, "Well, why is all this so important?" To me, I think the reason we've actually got uh, so, this is so significant today is because, and and I'll be sharing some of this this tomorrow. Um, but uh, what uh, increasingly within uh, the religious world, uh, there is a, a an amalgamation occurring of creation and evolution. There are some who would suggest that God created the world through evolution, through the process of evolution. Now, we're not going to get in this one today because tomorrow we're going to be spending the entire uh, program on that particular uh, question because I think it's really significant to the Christian world at this particular time because if you like, uh, this belief in the beginning God is really the foundation, isn't it, Eric, yes. of, um, of all that the scripture is actually based on. That's right. I mean, if, if, for instance, if you, ta- if you have a look at John, uh, if you look at Colossians one fifteen to seventeen, it says, "He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, authorities." All things were created through him. So here we see one source, one source of power. Mm. And this is a God that existed from all, for all time. Yeah. And then he create, brought us into his world. He made the world and he made us in that world. Isn't that beautiful? It's a, yeah. it's a yeah. wonderful thing. And I know that sometimes, you know, when people are talking about things, everything I see has been created when I yeah. see Whatever around me, somebody's made it or somebody shaped it, and God created all those things. And the beauty of it is that sometimes, you know, you see a tree bending, and you and you know it's the wind. Well, the Holy Spirit's invisible, but it says mm. He created all things visible and invisible. Yeah, which yeah, is absolutely yeah. beautiful. You know, yeah. No, this, this this to me is really good because we've got the scriptures being quite upfront with us yeah. as far as their presuppositions are concerned. You know, and what I'm conscious of is many uh, the of those who you know accept an evolutionary viewpoint and aren't you know aren't prepared to accept that they actually have got presuppositions that are actually predetermining mm-hmm. uh, the conclusions that they actually come to. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, as I look at that, I turn around and I say, hey, I mean, the whole scientific world today is based on a thing called naturalism, which means that things have, you know, continued in largely exactly the same way as they've, uh, they always have, uh, since the uh, beginning of time. Uh, whereas that's an assumption, of course, mm-hmm. that in fact can't be actually proven. Yes. And you've got to read, you've got to read all sources, don't you? If, like, you've got to read up on, on the Bible, and you've got to look at what uh, evolution says, and yeah. then you you yeah. weigh up that those things. I mean, it says in the beginning, in the six days of creation, God formed light, the universe, and the earth. That was the first day, and then the sky and the atmosphere on the second day, uh, dry land and all plant life on the third day, the stars and the heavenly body, including the sun and moon, on the fourth day, birds and water creatures. Day five, and all the land animals and man on day six. And mankind is special above all other creatures because it tells us in the Bible that he bears the image of God. Genesis 1, 27 to 28 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature moving on the ground. So it was given into the custodian of the people 
of, of mankind to, to be on that. And that, that to me is a beautiful thought because what we're actually doing at that point, the scriptures are actually giving humanity status. Mm. It's saying, hey, the exact opposite. It's saying, no, you didn't come from any lower life form. What you did is you actually came from a almighty uh, life form. The God of the universe actually created you into existence. And you know, so I look at this, I say, hey, this is an incredibly beautiful story because what it does is it gives it gives humanity uh, incredible status. It, yes. You are a son of the Most High God. But look, Eric, if I can just come back yep. to something, if I can, mm. because I'm you, you just listed down there the, the, the six days of creation, and of course on the seventh day he yep. uh, uh, he rested. But look, there are people who uh, would actually say that you know, okay, you know, maybe every, and this is certainly within the Christian world, that maybe that the six days of creation are actually six eras. Perhaps there are others who say. Or maybe, you know, a, a thousand years is as one day. So maybe these are thousand year periods. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, different understandings on. I mean, these days, how, how would you respond to, uh, to that? Are we talking literal days here? You've got to go to the source of where that comes from. And okay. that's found in Second Peter 3. But you've, you can't just take that one text out of context. You've got to actually read a little bit. This is the thousand years, the, a day is as a thousand years. A day years. is a thousand yeah, years. Yeah, okay. That's where it comes from. It's Second Peter chapter 3, 3 to 10. It says, Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same words the heaven and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the Mm -hmm. unholy. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burnt up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done it will be exposed. So you've got to read that in the context. In other words, God, time to God is not as it is mm-hmm. to humanity, but mm-hmm. that still, I mean, okay, so that, let's, let's, I think we can discount that particular uh, passage, that particular text as applying to Genesis, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, could we have had six or seven different eras here, you know, mm-hmm. with this being symbolic, because there are certainly Christians in our world today who will say exactly, exactly that thing. I mean, were these literal 24 hour days that I've spoken about in Genesis? Well, if you look to see where the um, what the Hebrew word for day is, mm-hmm. it actually comes from uh, the word yom, y o m. Okay, that's been translated into the English day. It can it usually refers from dawn till dusk. Okay, that that okay. Where, that's where it comes from. <clears throat> usually refers to a twenty four hour period of time, uh, and it, and it depends on the setting in which the word is used. For instance. Um, you know, the word yom is used 2,301 times in the Old Testament. Wow. The word, and that's translated as day. 
And outside of Genesis 1, Yom plus a number is used 410 times, almost always indicates an ordinary day, a 24-hour yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. And the reason we can understand that is that if there are, are days in the Bible where it's written that we we think are thousands of years, well, you look at it. Look what happened when Jonah was in the well for three days and three nights. Does that mean he was in the well for three thousand years? Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, this is something that you you can't simply apply um, a uh, a text from uh, Peter's writings mm. into uh, to interpret the uh, the book of Genesis. But you know, to me, Eric, the thing that really stands out to me about this uh, uh, about this Genesis one account mm. is that after each day you get uh, a phrase, and you get you you certainly correct and I agree with you totally that that word yom uh, certainly refers to a, a, a literal 24 hour period but it's actually reinforced here because you know you look at it you know I mean in verse uh, verse 3 there so the evening and the morning were the first day if you go to verse 8 yep. so the evening and the morning were the second day mm. if you go to verse 13 so the evening and the morning were the third day if you go to verse 19 so the evening and the morning were the fourth day you know the scripture is actually being incredibly uh, specific uh, here it is referring to uh, the evening and the morning equaling One a day, day. That's you know correct. you know you look at it and you say hey you know I mean mm. as you read the text you can't come to any other conclusion than what is actually intended in this passage here is actually literal 24-hour periods. That's right. And the way God went about it, he said, let there be light. He, he spoke it all into existence instantaneously yeah. on that day. That's you know, And everything was formed. And then, of course, you've got your six days and then you've got your seventh day of rest. Yeah. So does that mean that we, if you took a, a thousand days, a thousand uh, hours for a day, you know, a thousand days, yes. does that mean, therefore, that you, you work 6,000 years and then have a, a thousand day? <laughs> it actually becomes quite ludicrous, doesn't it? it does. You know, if you, mm. if you accept something other than what the mm. scripture actually so clearly yeah. actually says, you know. Uh, yeah, that's right. And you've got to line up those when it talks about creation and other parts of the Bible. You line them all up and you'll find that there can be no doubt that he's talking about a literal day for the days of creation. Uh, yeah. And that's so important, you know. Eric, look, let's co- let's come to a little bit of a, a break here. It has come time for a, for a break. Um, let's come to. Uh, I, I love this uh, this particular uh, song. It's uh, it's an ancient hymn uh, for the beauty of the earth.
part of the world you know as i have I, as i've traveled around the world as i look at my my country here and as in uh, in oz i just stand in awe at the things the lord has actually created i uh, i can't believe that uh, uh that that god uh is actually not involved in this uh, uh in this whole experience look our free gift for you today is the book uh, creation and evolution creation and evolution is written by uh, dwight nelson now this is a thoughtful look at cre- at the evidence that a master designer created our planet uh, this is a real beauty of uh, of a book i believe you'll greatly enjoy it look if you'd like your own copy of creation and evolution just uh, uh just text us uh here at our studio uh the book's name is creation evolution please i uh, just text that with your name your address your telephone number and we'll get it to you uh at by the by the fastest uh, possible means and uh our text number here is oh four double eight double eight oh eight eleven that number again is 0488 You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary. Today our co-host is Eric Hoare, and Eric ministers to the Adelaide Aboriginal Seventh-day Adventist Church. And this week we're discussing creation and evolution in a post-biblical world. And today we're simply asking, what does the Bible actually say about the origin of our world? You know, there are so many uh, churches with so many different views. Uh, many of them have adopted a, uh, a theistic evolutionary position, uh, some even atheistic evolutionary uh, position. Uh, but we're going to come more to that tomorrow. If you're interested in that particular uh, issue, then please uh, let's uh, come come to our program 5 till 6 uh, tomorrow. Eric, our time is, is running out. Uh, you better bring it together for us. Yeah, well, we've just talked about the creation of the earth, and now it, it's really good to see where humanity came from. Uh, Darwin thought that it was a progression from the monkey, that that's part of the way we yeah. evolved. Yeah. But at verse 7 of the Bible in Genesis 2 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That to me is a beautiful picture. Here is this powerful God stooping down to the soil and, and making man from that. Darwinism teaches that the strongest survive, that you keep evolving until the strongest will start, the strongest species. But in the Bible, when you read through the Bible and look at uh, even the animals, it says down here, uh, that was formed from the dust of the earth as well, that he made them each and every one. And it, it teaches us that when we read the Bible, that it is a love for man. It is actually not being the most powerful, 
but to follow God's characteristics that make us strong and to have this beautiful picture here to know that we're formed by a God that loves us and cares for us it means so much more than just being coming from a species that evolves into the strongest yeah look what what you're saying is actually so true in fact you know if you actually look the thing I, I appreciate you know sometimes people uh, uh, laugh about the uh, uh, the uh, the genealogies at the beginning mm. of uh, of particularly Matthew I mean Matthew starts with a whole chapter one uh, by talking about the genealogy of Christ and he he tracks back uh, Christ's genealogy and uh, you get right back to uh, to to Adam. And then it makes a very beautiful statement. Uh, Adam, who was the son, Adam was the son of, uh, you get the great list, mm. but Adam was the son of God. Yes. And do you know, as, yes. I, as I read that, to me, what does it say to you, Eric, when somebody says to you that you are the son of the Most High God? Well, when people say that, it really makes a, such a huge difference in your life because as I read the Bible, it tells me that we're sons and daughters of Christ for those who believe in him. And uh, I know that there must be a large part missing for people who don't believe that they were actually created, that they came from somewhere else. And when you put it together, when you see how God leads you in your life, you understand that the life that he gives us uh, and when then, of course, we fell into sin, that he also can replace our heart, if you like. He gives us a heart transplant because yeah. he is the creator. And so he has the power to change us as we keep on changing and moving to him. Uh, and that's what I love. Of course, you know, he, he gave woman as an equal to Adam. He took him out of the rib, uh, we read. And yeah. made him a companion, just like the animals all had the companions. Adam had, and there we see the forming then of a family. The whole, um, the whole basis of what humanity is based on, on a family unit, comes yeah. from the Bible. The yeah. seven day week comes from the Bible. Yeah. The, the, uh, creation story actually comes from the Bible that we fully believe. Cause I've weighed up the evidence as Pastor Gary. I've looked at it and I think it's more easier. I have, uh, I think it takes more faith to believe in evolution where everything, it was just thrown out, you know, something happened, a bit of explosion and the moon was in the right spot. And the At some right. point, it's just incredible. Everybody has to have a faith statement. Yes. Uh, you know, yes. I, do I, is, is, is this certainly part of my faith statement? Yes, it is. Mm. Do, do I have evidence to back up my faith? Yes, I do. Mm. And, and, you know, to me, this is one of the beautiful things, you know, as I look at what so many, uh, particularly Christian scientists, are presenting today. I I stand in awe the you know the creation ministries people, and, and mm, I would encourage mm, yes. anybody who who is listening. Uh, look, you know the the creation ministries people do a wonderful job, mm. and I, I would encourage people to go onto their website and just look at some of the material that was there. I, I've actually had the privilege to actually go to their uh, to their conference that occurred that occurred over on the Gold Coast before COVID uh, COVID did did begin, and uh, to listen listen to people. PhD uh, scientists uh, stand up and share and say, hey, uh, this is why we believe, this is why we are able to teach, uh, but this is why we... This is why we believe in the God of the uh, of the Bible, and this is why we believe it can be established. It's it's yes, we believe it by faith, 
but there's evidence to actually back up the faith as well. You know, I, I, I love, uh, first John chapter, chapter three. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Do you know, this is the thing about, about the, the Christian story of creation that I think is so powerful that you and me are actually given a status, sons and daughters, of the most high God. Mm. Uh, you know, we are not, we didn't come from slime. Uh, no. We didn't come from a lesser creature, but we mm. came from the God of heaven. Do you know, uh, when a person uh, can come and realize that fact, it changes the way they view their entire world. Mm. That's right, Gary. And you know, it's, you feel special when you know you've been created by a loving God. Yeah. And the thing is, you, you're right. You've got to have faith. You either have faith that God created the world or you believe in evolution, have faith in the facts that are presented there. And at the end of the day, if you believe in evolution and you live your life according to those facts, evolution teaches that the strongest survive. And at the end of that time, what have you got left? But as a Christian, knowing that God loves you, we keep changing to become more like that heavenly father. You know, my father was a loving man mm. and, uh, and he put, he put, uh, you know, things into us as we cut, draw close to him. And and spent time with him. As we spend time with the Father, because he created us, he can work with us and mould us, and we believe in him. And, but if, on the other side, if you don't have that, as you say, you're made out of slime or sludge or whatever, how it all part, what do you attach yourself to? You're attached and put your abilities in the scientists or what people are saying out there. But a lot of those people, they really need to delve into the Word to understand what, what the other side. It's not taught in schools now. Yeah. A lot of this is not taught. Yeah, Our children yeah. not being brought up on the word of God. I, I was actually, you know, really. I mean, I, I'm certainly aware of uh, quite a number of the uh, the evidence that that are there for the biblical creation story. Mm. But you know, when I went along to the uh, creation science uh, conference, because I do try to go to these and to some of these conferences, mm. uh, you know, I. You know, those number of uh, illustrations just multiplied tenfold. Uh, and we're not talking from, from people who, you know, are lay people in their field. We're talking of PhDs in, in the relevant fields. Mm. And, and, you know, to me, when a, it, it, it's, it's the one hump uh, that so many struggle with is the presupposition, is there a God? The very moment, you know, and I believe we actually have a God who's prepared prepared to reveal himself to us uh, and but the moment that hump is uh, a person comes over that hump mm. suddenly there things come together that never came together before well the thing is pastor gary if if we only had the creation story in the bible and it stopped there then you've just got that part to believe in but then the bible goes through like a history book right down to end time and has the prophecies and shows what's going to happen in the world through the statue it goes right through showing what what uh, kingdom is going to take over from another that then gives you confidence in the foundation of believing where you believe he goes right through he doesn't stop it actually the answers the really big questions that we are all forced you know where did I come from mm. where am I going mm. because you know that question also is answered in the word of God but it's based on the pre supposition that there is a God who is interested in humanity. And, you know, that's the thing that the scriptures have actually taught me, that there is a God who is actually interested one-on-one 
I'm with you and me. And it also fills in, Gary, the beginning and the end, but it fills in what's happening now, that we can have confidence that what we see happening in the world now, we know where we're going yeah. and why yeah. it's happening. Yeah. And that is the big thing. It fills every aspect of life, of human life. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Look, look, guys, let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, I come to you right now. Lord, I want to say thank you uh, for giving us your word. Uh, Lord, thank you for being the creator God. Uh, Lord, thank you for making us your sons and daughters. Lord, thank you for giving us that incredible status that comes from nowhere else. Uh, Lord, I pray that you might bless each of our listeners. If there's anybody who's struggling in some way, I just pray that you might reveal yourself to them. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, that indeed that you might act in their life, that you might just show them the reality of your existence. We just ask and we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, it does look like that our time is up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Eric Hoare on Drive Time. A big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when I'll be sharing with Pastor David Butcher and we'll be asking, could God have created the world by using evolution? You'll have this uh, particular program. I'll actually be taking the Bible study and my, my good mate uh, uh, David will be sitting here in the driver's chair. Uh, I'm really looking forward to being able to, uh, to to share with you, but really look forward to being with you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God uh, richly bless you.